1: Hi, I'm
2: Brian Sullivan and tonight the Surgeon General calling social media a profound risk to kids. But is TikTok really the new tobacco? Can Elon Musk turn Twitter into the presidential race's go-to platform? What's gonna happen tomorrow that you have to hear about? The mounting cost of the culture wars. First, Bud Light fizzles out. Now, Target could be in the crosshair. No driver, no problem. What Phoenix about to do that is some turning heads. Viva Las Vegas, one real estate giant moves to turn Sin City into the nation's hottest housing market. All that and much more over the next hour. So belly up or buckle up, because last call is up right now. Well, good evening here and good afternoon Out West, everybody. We're going to get to all those stories coming up. But first up, potentially big warning sign from the super rich. Tonight, on the rollover of the rich and famous, your VIP journey into the dazzling losses of life's most luxurious companies. Hermes, LVMH, Ferrari, Gucci, losing a stunning 30 billion in a decadent bonfire of wealth destruction, courtesy of some comments at a Morgan Stanley conference in Paris. Caviar dreams and champagne wishes tossed overboard as the luck of the rich may finally be running dry. I don't want to hear your tweets about my bad British accent. All right, I tried. we were trying to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, okay? But what happened today was serious under the hood of the market. Shares in these popular brands and companies tanking today, maybe on concerns about the high-end consumer, could have something to do with China as well. Now, it's important because this has been the unbreakable part of the economy. Hey, it's the rich after all. But there do appear to be signs of cracks that also are happening according to a new analysis at a Deutsche Bank. And this could also be a sign that yes, even higher interest rates could have an impact on the very top of the economic period. So let's talk about it and broaden it out. QI Research CEO and Chief Strategist, Danielle DiMartino Booth. Jerry Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors, a retail legend who used to run the parent company of Sachs and the former CEO of Toys R Us and noted retail watcher, and our friend Jan Rogers-Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers-Niffen Worldwide. Thank you all for joining us. Maybe, I think, a first time on last call for all of you. So welcome. You know, Danielle, I do wonder, I do wonder, I know people say the rich are immune to everything, but guess what? Higher rates, higher costs of capital. You wonder, could it also hit the rich among us?
3: Uh, Brian, it's entirely feasible, and I know that this this segment sounds a little bit tongue-in-cheek-ish, but the fact of the matter is the largest economy in the country with 70% consumption, the top quintile of earners in the United States account for more than 45% of spending here. So I, I actually keep LVMH up on my dashboard at all times because this is the bellwether to gauge how the wealth effect is working in a good way or in reverse, which you don't want to see. Again, we are an economy that is led by consumptions. And it looks like the confluence of factors between central banks tightening policy uh, and what we're seeing in the debt ceiling and a disappointing China reopening looks like these factors are coming together.
2: Yeah, Jerry, you know, we had Visa. Visa was the worst performer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average today. I saw a Cowan note that retail traffic, you know, just foot, plain old foot traffic, which I know Jan tracks. We'll get to him in a second, was the worst so far of the year. And the higher cost of capital really impacts retailers almost the most because you need that excess liquidity, free cash flow to really make these projects profitable. How will or how have higher rates hit retail and the consumer?
4: Look, every strata of consumer is worried. That's the bottom line. Lower-income consumers have been stressed for some time. The middle-income consumers have been trading down. We heard that from Walmart and from many others. And then the aspirational younger consumers have been part of what's fueled the luxury boom in the US. They're renting back their free spending. A lot of them are the ones losing their jobs at the high-tech companies out in California. Meanwhile, the highest-income segment watches the stock market every day. And there's a perfect correlation with luxury goods and the (laughs) stock market performance. That's right. They're your viewers. So very high correlation. The stock market really hit the skids last fall, as you know, and luxury did not have
2: a good Christmas. It's been flat ever since. People
4: are worried.
2: Jan, nobody's weeping for the wealthy. I mean, we just saw a video of Jeff Bezos on like a thousand foot sailboat with a 20 carat ring on his wife's hand. No one's feeling bad about the rich. But is it any kind of a... uh, blue robin's egg in a coal
5: mine, for lack of a better (laughs) term. Well, you know, apparently Jeff hasn't cut back on his spending. And even though I agree with everything I just heard from both the other guests, the people at the bottom of the top quintile can barely see the people at the top of the top quintile from the point of view of spending. Remember, when you look at these true luxury players like you name, Hermes, LVMH, those people, 2% of their customers buy 40% of the stuff because that's where the money is. And we're still seeing very strong interest in the very high end of that. As a matter of fact, these companies have all actually moved up and they've sort of let go of that lowest end aspirational customer because they were getting such such good traction at the top. Think about it. Chanel moved the price of their top bag to the same price as the Hermes Birkin. You know what that is? Ten thousand plus bucks a pop, and you can't find one if you want one. So we're still seeing pretty good strength. The U.S. is slowing a little at the top, and it is the younger mm-hmm. customer and the aspirational customer. But China's picking up the slack on that. We so hope, far.
2: Jen. We hope we got you know. Listen, we we'll get to China in a little bit. I think because there was some is- issues there. Some rumblings about maybe some new COVID warnings there. Anyway, listen to this, guys. First, recession warnings not just coming out of luxury. Here's what Goldman Sachs chairman and CEO David Solomon said earlier today at CNBC's CEO
6: Council Summit. I think there's a greater chance of a recession than than not as we look at the end of the year into early 2024. Um, but I'd say it's uncertain. If there is a recession, my best guess is at the moment it will be relatively Shallow, But I think it's very hard to tighten economic conditions, have the inflation that we're having and not ultimately, you know, have an impact on economic growth. And so some of this is a rebalancing of the imbalances from the pandemic. But but we'll see. But it's unclear.
2: You you know, Danielle, this has been the most called for recession, I think, in global history. I mean, you know, and and we're not innocent of that as well. But you go to Javier's restaurant in, in Dallas, it's packed. You go anywhere in New York, it's packed. You go to even Chicago, it's packed. San Francisco's got its own problems. But do you think there is a recession that is coming? And if so, what will it look like? Shallow, long lasting? Because we don't know the impact. We've never had this kind of a rate hike cycle off this type of low.
3: No. And in fact, you're right. You're right to look at the delta between where rate hikes started and where they are now. It's it's truly an extreme. You have to keep in mind, though, we've had. All kinds of fiscal stimulus that have continued to flow into the US economy. The Wall Street Journal over the weekend had a good story about the employee retention credit. It's pumped upwards of $150 billion, extra dollars, into the US economy that's been deployed in luxury travel, Uber luxury goods uh, in, in just the past year or so. That stimulus that went straight to the top, straight to the highest earners, business owners, that's starting to ebb. And we're now seeing. 80% of the population lives in states with rising uh, jobless claims. Uh-huh. And once you start hearing it, 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 that it's moving beyond this white collar recession that shields the broader economy, once you find out that more than two thirds of states have rising initial jobless claims, 80% have rising continuing jobless claims, those are real numbers and they're coming out in real time. And I think there's, there's this recession realization that we're going through right
2: now. Uh, and, and Jerry, I think, you know, we. Probably a trillion dollars on credit cards at this point. 987 billion was the last number. That was about two months old. So my guess is we're at a trillion. The average credit card rate, APR, is about 20% now. I mean, everybody kind of went nuts for good reason, by the way. After the pandemic, you do wonder, looking at price action of Visa, et cetera, today, will the bill come due? And if so, what is it going to look like?
4: Well, there's no doubt. Credit cards are the highest cost financing available to today's household. So you know whether it's an individual or a company when they start going to their highest cost form of financing, then things aren't very good and that's what you see with credit card spending. It's not just that debt is up, it's that credit card spending is up. That's what's the most worrisome thing that 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 you're seeing out there. Yeah. And you know, and we don't know if there's a recession coming or not. I, you know It's hard to call it, but I'll tell you what, even a rocket ship has to slow down before it can reverse directions and start going backwards. And this rocket ship of an economy that we had during the pandemic, it is slowing down on every measure. And you mentioned eating out at restaurants. Yep. Even that is slowing down month after month
2: after month. Jan, quickly, you, you, you travel around, you walk the malls, I get emails from you. I'm at the Mall of America in Bloomington. What are you seeing on the ground? Quickly.
5: Well, on the ground, we're in a recession on electronics. We're in a recession on do-it-yourself home. We're in a recession on professional home. We're not in a recession yet on luxury. We're not in a recession yet on travel. We're not in a recession yet on resorts. So are we in a recession? Are we six months away? Are we 18 months away? I don't think anybody has a clue because nobody has ever seen anything like this before. But I'll tell you where we're not in a recession, and that's high-end luxury.
2: You know, I got to correct you, though, Jan. I was down on Canal Street the other day. I saw it. I saw a Birkin bag. It was spelled wrong, but a Birkin bag for $45. I, I thought about picking it up. Maybe a two. Jan Rogers-Niffen, Jerry Storch, Danielle Martino booth Great combo. Thank you all. All right, speaking of money, here's what happened to your money today. And it was more down than up, unfortunately. The Dow fell again. Third straight negative session. We talked about a visa was down big on, yeah, you guessed it, Questions about the consumer S and and Nasdaq fell more than one percent. There's always movement inside the market. So your stud and your dud of the day. The biggest stud of the day: Iovance Biotherapeutics. Never heard of them. They jumped 13 percent. They're a California startup developing new cancer treatments. The biggest dud, also in healthcare, medical device company Integra Life Sciences falling 20 percent. They issued a recall of surgical tissue products. Not good. All right, let's also take a look and see how futures and things are shaping up for tomorrow morning, and they're mildly in the green, but again, about two trades have happened, so take it with a grain of sea salt. All right, up ahead, the hottest platform for presidential candidates is Twitter? How Elon Musk plans to take flight with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, plus where Uber could soon pick you up with no driver at all. All hail the robo taxi, and it's next. All right, welcome back. Time now for tomorrow's news tonight. The stories that you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning CNBC style. And we've got a last call exclusive and some breaking news in technology and grocery stores. Yes, they do go together. Check this out. Could be coming soon to a Kroger near you. Color Screens, which is a retail media tech company, announcing a new partnership with Kroger tomorrow. They will announce that this new tech will be coming to about 500 Kroger stores. The screens will start in the beverage aisle at Kroger's and show off sort of what's inside, maybe some deals and more. This is an advanced look, perhaps, at what the grocery aisle of the future could be. Very cool. And again, that news coming out tomorrow around 9 a.m. You heard it here on Last Call first. Also tonight, and this is getting a lot of attention for obvious reasons, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be announcing his 2024 presidential campaign. That's not a surprise, but this is. DeSantis will reportedly make the announcement on a Twitter Spaces event with Elon Musk. Yep, making the announcement on Twitter tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. David Sachs, a tech entrepreneur and Republican donor, will be moderating. The official campaign launch video will be released after that conversation. Here is Musk on the news earlier today at the Wall Street Journal CEO Summit.
1: We'll be interviewing Ron Santos will be, be the first time that something like this is happening on social media. And I do think it's important that Twitter be uh, have both the reality and the perception of a level playing field, of a, a place where uh, all voices are heard and where uh, there's the kind of dynamic int- uh, interaction that is you don't really see anywhere else.
2: So it appears that with this move and the recent hiring of NBC ad boss, Linda Yaccarino, Elon Musk is trying to make Twitter the media destination of choice. But will it work? Most of Americans aren't on Twitter. And if they are on it, they don't use it much. Joining us now is Tom Rogers, CNBC contributor, former president of NBC cable and creator of this fine TV network. Tom, great to have you back on again. You know, Linda, well, you probably know Musk. What exactly do you think they're trying to make Twitter into?
7: Well, I think there's some positives and negatives here for both uh, Musk and DeSantis. Uh, for for Musk, as you said, uh, making Twitter the place for political speech, some opportunity there. I think he's also trying to uh, make it the place where conservatives uh, feel more comfortable. Adding to Tucker Carlson having a, a regular show on on Twitter. Uh, the negatives are that it's very hard. To come across as a neutral social media platform when you are participating in the presidential announcement of a uh, uh, considered far right, uh, somewhat polarizing political figure, and to uh, uh, think that you're going to be a neutral media player in any way, or seen as a neutral media player in any way, is a very tough perception to overcome. No,
2: but don't you don't you think, Tom, that that Musk may be trying to? Overcompensate, maybe the other way, because of what he felt Twitter was on the left for so long.
7: Uh, yes I think there's something to that but again participating directly in the announcement of a presidential campaign I think is going to be a tough one for him to uh, get away from in terms of trying to uh, create a perception of a of a neutral platform a, a neutral media player I think there's some risk in it for DeSantis as well I think what DeSantis gets out of it is that uh, this is a bigger way to do a press announcement it's not Unique. He's going to get some play uh, that he wouldn't otherwise have gotten in the press as a result of that. And it gives him some ability to uh, counter the Iger Disney war that he's in by showing that uh, he's close to uh, a major business figure, uh, shows some business support. And uh, Musk is uh, considered uh, a futurist and somebody who uh, thinks about the future. Trump is often accused of being uh, very stuck in the past. So this allows DeSantis to align with somebody who is more future oriented. The negatives for DeSantis are it's, it's a bad look when you're at war with business. It's also a bad look when you're too cozy with business and particularly big tech and the Trump base. I don't think uh, cozying up to big tech is going to help them with a whole bunch of voters there he needs to work with uh, he's mm-hmm. alienated uh, independent suburban women sure they drive a lot of teslas in the suburbs but this isn't going to overcome the issue he has with independent women and in the six week abortion Dang. ban switch switch
2: switching gears tom everybody says streaming tv streaming video is the future netflix cracking down on password sharing hbo now called max it was called hbo go peacock whatever it may be i mean what is the future a stream. We keep hearing it's the future, but all it keeps doing is losing lots of money.
7: Well, uh, many players are losing lots of money. Netflix is not losing lots of money. They're making lots of money. And they announced today their pricing on their password sharing policy. Uh, Many have thought that uh, Netflix has been stalled in terms of subscribers. Uh, I think it's more that they have a whole lot of subscribers that aren't paying worldwide about 100 million, 30 million in the US. And they announced today that the price for sharing paying for somebody else or somebody who is currently sharing getting their own account is going to be 7.99 which is actually a dollar more than what Netflix will cost you if you're willing to watch ads. Mm-hmm. And so they're clearly trying to push people toward the ad tier, which is the new place all the streaming services are trying to get more viewers because they think that they can certainly drive higher levels of revenue with a combination of subscription isn't fees it, and advertising. Isn't it
2: amazing that the TV ad, wherever it is, is suddenly back in vogue. It's not the it's not the, you know, little uh, figurine on TikTok. It's actual ads. I mean, it's like back to the future. Tom Rogers, appreciate it. Thank you.
7: Thanks for having me, Brian. All right.
2: Always welcome, Tom. Isn't that amazing, folks? The TV ad is now the hottest thing out there. Who'd have thunk it? All right, still ahead. The Surgeon General sounds the alarm over social media and its profound risk. His words to kids. But did he just give investors the ultimate buy signal?
7: First, cigarettes and other forms of tobacco are addicting. Second, nicotine is the drug in tobacco that causes addiction. And third, the pharmacologic and behavioral processes that determine tobacco addiction are similar to those that determine addiction to drugs such as heroin and cocaine.
2: You remember that? That was then U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop back in 1988 speaking out following his department's report that found nicotine was an addictive substance in cigarettes. Well, fast forward to today, and we are seeing a very similar Surgeon General's warning on social media. Earlier on the Today Show, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy outlined the dangers and addictive nature of social media for America's kids and teens.
4: We see rates of depression and anxiety and suicide and loneliness going up among young people. And I'm concerned that social media is an important driver of that youth mental health crisis. Uh, This is the defining
8: public health issue of our time.
2: Is social media as addictive as tobacco? Well, we can debate that. But what is not up for debate is how investors tend to ignore these warnings. Case in point, tobacco stocks have actually been some of the top performers in the market over the past few decades. British American tobacco shares up 700% since that Surgeon general warning back in 1988. Altria, the parent of Philip Morris, up over 2,000%, although off its recent highs. Could we potentially see the same outcome with some of these social media companies? Joining us now is Satori Fund founder and portfolio manager Dan Niles. Dan, you hate to say it, I mean, right, but you think, all right, addictive or potentially addictive, which means you're going to be kind of stuck on it, probably can get high margins from it because people are going to demand it no matter wherever they are, and likely not going to be outlawed. I mean, it's kind of whatever, but it probably makes for good returns.
6: It makes for great returns, Brian. And the, the other thing is, this is not like tobacco. That's a cancer-causing, you know, proven agent. With social media, it's like saying, well, a knife is bad. Well, yeah, you can cut yourself with it, or it's great for cooking. It's the same with social media. If all you're doing is consuming it for hours on end and looking at curated versions of people's lives, then, yeah, I can see how that's going to impact you poorly. But the flip side of it is, if you're using it to keep up with people and using it to increase your reach, there are a lot of social media influencers earning a million dollars a year or a million a month in some cases I will tell you, it's an indispensable tool. So I think you have to learn how to use it as a tool. And to me, that means start your kids young on it, learn, teach them how to use it mm. safely, and that'll yeah, Dan, increase Dan, their Dan, Dan, it,
2: well, neither of us are psychiatrists. At least you may be. Maybe I'm. I'm certainly not, or a medical doctor. But the reality is, some people can handle certain things of some, and others can't. I mean, 29 of of younger female users on TikTok, are, are according to a, new, a recent reporter on it, for four hours a day, just like. Some people might be able to have a casual drink and others others cannot. I think that's the risk, right? So you could say, well, I'll just control it, but that's not the case with everything that may be addictive.
6: Well, I mean, some of this, Brian, it comes down to your view on parenting. And I think, you know, I'm a dad to two kids, two very different kids. And from an early age, we, were, we tried to expose them to as much technology as possible, but teach them how to use it responsibly. And so I think if you spend time with your kids and you yourself know how to use social media responsibly, then that's gonna be good for you. You can't say, well, we want children that are technology literate and to close the digital divide and at the same time say, well, we don't want people to be exposed to this because social media, whether you whether you or I like it or not, is here and it's not going away anytime soon and it's used to reach a wide audience and companies use it all the time. So you can fight against the use of a fire, electricity, the internet, all you like, but it's not going away. And so you better learn how to deal with it responsibly.
2: Do we do we buy Meta then? Do we? I mean, Snap has been crushed. I mean, do we buy these companies like a Snap because at some point they, they got to come back or do we have to be more selective? No.
6: Well, I think you have to be more selective. And what it comes down to this, in 2021, you could buy anything and it would go up. Remember, Amazon missed a couple of quarters in 2021. Uh, Netflix missed a couple of quarters in 2021, and they were up. That wasn't the case in 2022. And so now, with the economy getting tougher, people are thinking, well, where do I want to put my ad dollars? Because I have less to spend. And the market's going to punish me if I spend too much. And so what you're seeing is you know, Meta, Google, they did well. But companies like you know, Snap. Pinterest, they did poorly. And you're seeing that across industries where the better positioned companies, they're sucking up more share, and the companies that are more poorly positioned, losing money, uh, et cetera, they're starting to struggle. But the the one thing I do want to warn your viewers is, we're still in the early stages of the economy slowing down. The Fed just probably stopped raising rates. We just had three of the biggest four bank failures in history. And so all of these companies are going to start feeling some impact, even the largest ones, I think as we go through the rest of this year, and valuations are high. So you need to be selective, as you rightly pointed out.
2: Well, and it sounds like a, a bit of a warning sign from the macro economy from you as well. Dan Niles, appreciate it. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. Digging into the stock market, a big name on your watch list tonight, and that's NVIDIA. They're set to report their results tomorrow night. Why are we bringing it up? Because the market is on edge about it. It's a big number. And you can bet that anything related to A.I. is going to get super special attention. Christina Portsanevel is joining us now with what we can expect. And I think it's fair to say, Christina, this is the only earnings report that I've heard everybody talking about
0: well i guess it's a good thing i'm the reporter on it right but nvidia is like you said it's just the art in artificial intelligence darling the main beneficiary of all the recent hype during google's developers conference for example and during microsoft's recent earnings call nvidia was the only company to get a shout out even this afternoon after the close microsoft announced it will continue to work with nvidia on this software layer of its cloud service azure so why nvidia why is everyone talking about it because it specializes in data center chips and it's the backbone of generative ai so these are all positives for nvidia stock which really has surged over 80% just in the last 6 months or so it's actually the most valuable chip company on the market right now and it's definitely not cheap either it's trading at over 50 times earnings a high ratio could mean it's overvalued especially when you compare it to its peers speaking of its peers Just last quarter, Intel's data center business fell 14% quarter over quarter. AMD's was down 22%, but investors seem convinced NVIDIA won't have to endure the same fate. Why is that? Although capital spending is slowing down across the chip space, companies are opting to consolidate purchases of traditional servers, to the detriment of a company like Intel, while making room in their budgets for GPU chips, which could cost at least 20 times the price which benefits Nvidia. So giants like Amazon, Meta, Alphabet are all racing to build their own generative AI models that need components like Nvidia's H100 chip. The latest concern though, is that possibly hoarding could happen with these chips, which would give or create a whole new GPU shortage like we saw during COVID. So Nvidia's earnings may shed some light Not only on the supply situation, but more importantly for this AI hype name, it's demand outlook for the near term. Or else we could see the stock definitely change course.
2: I have a feeling we will see and hear from you once again in about, I don't know, 22 hours or so. Christina Parts thank you. All right, still ahead. The culture wars mounting toll on the bottom line. The boycott bite getting even bigger for Bud Light. Other companies are scrambling to avoid maybe a similar fate.
7: Next. You know, generally speaking, I don't like the idea of using sovereign power to punish a, a company, treat it any worse than a similarly situated company because of their political positions. On this one, though, I actually support DeSantis. Uh, I, I thought what, what for me, is important here is that Disney was getting special privileges, and this is a question of having those special privileges removed and being treated like everybody else. And second, I felt that Disney's intervention here was very unfair because it it unfairly characterized what uh, DeSantis was doing as a matter of policy and really pandered to and played to uh, a narrative uh, by his political opponents.
2: That was former Attorney General Bill Barr speaking at the CNBC CEO Council in Santa Barbara, California, earlier today, and Disney's fight with Governor DeSantis is but one of the many culture war flashpoints that involve companies. Case in point, Bud Light and the toll it's taking on Anheuser-Busch. According to new data from Beer Business Daily, Bud Light sales volumes dropped more than 28% in the week ending May 13th even worse than the decline from the previous week. So it's accelerating. And it's now hurting sales of other key brands like Budweiser Red and Michelob Ultra. Anheuser-Busch's stock is feeling the pinch. It has dropped 12% since the company's, well, relatively mild partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, which triggered some boycott calls. Not really boycott, but just people decided to boycott. Anyway, it's competitor Molson Coors in the meantime, has gone up 19%. So it's not an industry issue. Anheuser-Busch's stock is tanked. Molson Coors is up. A new note from JP Morgan today predicting the company's earnings could drop by 26% as part of this. Now, Anheuser-Busch, not the only company in the culture war crosshairs. Target is now reportedly forcing stores in the South to move its Pride merchandise away from the front of their locations, And to avoid what they would consider some sort of a bud light situation, whatever that means. So are these culture war controversies becoming an inevitable cost of doing business? And what advice can we give companies? Let's ask executive director of Sustainable Investments Institute, Heidi Welsh, and the president and CEO of Mountain, Mark Douglas. They build ad software for brands target through TV campaigns. So, you know, Heidi, I don't don't think Anheuser-Busch or Target or anybody, I don't think anybody sat around and said, let's let's do this let's do that they just kind of inadvertently get caught up in stuff uh, while be maybe 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 making a, a, an innocent marketing mistake to their core base what advice could you give companies that sort of get swept up in this
10: well um... The issue is, who are you beholden to? Are you beholden, you're beholden to many different uh, stakeholders, but in particular, you're beholden to your investors. And uh, investors are not showing, uh, are not pulled back from looking at how companies uh, affect and are affected by society, how they are affected by the environment and how ethical issues, which is governance, uh, uh, address their business. These are not, These are um, maybe not going to address the Bud Light six week stock drop. But ESG is a long term uh, investor risk and opportunity issue. And investors uh, are not going to look at a six week stock drop from one company as something that is really. Heidi, do you
2: you view this as an ESG issue or just kind of maybe a, a, a marketing screw
11: up?
10: Well, you know, I'm not a marketing person. I'm an investment research person. uh, And so uh, you'd have to ask somebody else about that,
2: which is why we brought Um, Mark. Mark, Mark, you are a marketing (laughs) person. You are you are a marketing. your name is Mark. I mean, it's it's perfect. If you got a call from the CEO of Anheuser-Busch, maybe you have. They say, come to St. Louis. We got to sit down. Let's have this conversation.
9: What do you say? Well, I think they are in a very difficult position and I'm not sure they even understand why. When you look at what has become a boycott of Bud Light and their other products, I think a lot of people think it's because of Dylan Mulvaney. But I actually think the video that came out of their VP of marketing literally saying that essentially they don't like the Budweiser customer is what, yeah, you know, I think. Real- I, 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 I I
2: think, did. you know, I've talked to friends. I actually talked talk to a bartender about it. When, they, when she called it fratty, meaning like a frat yeah. boy thing- Forget about Dylan Mulvaney.
9: I think to that point, she just kind of insulted a few million people. More more than a few million. That's a few million at baseball games this weekend. You know, it's more than a few million. And so that's what brands like you can. The thing to remember, we call this a culture war and every culture war, the people who really make out are the arms dealers. And in this, you know, in in any war and in this war, the arms dealers and you have to be really careful as to what. You are participating in. And so Anheuser-Busch let that marketing VP kind of bring their own agenda into there um, at, you know, who knows what Heidi. drove her. I don't think she hated these people. I, I think I she have just to, say to say something. something. Get I, Get in in here, is,
10: I, I feel like. This is a manufactured crisis. Um, consider the source, um, that, uh, uh, issue, um, that is being raised by Target, um, is, is, is not from a, uh, sort of neutral source. And, uh, Target, uh, has a whole lot of customers who are very happy with its, um, uh, LGBTQ merchandise array. Uh, the broader question is what is happening in the country in general, and how do companies in general uh, do business when there are conflicting views on major issues that are you know, causing our significant economic yeah. concerns right now uh, with the debt crisis? And this is this is a kerfuffle. It's not a big deal uh, in the long run. Maybe if some, if you bought Anheuser Busch, maybe maybe it's a good
2: buying opportunity long term for Anheuser Busch. To your point, uh, Heidi, maybe this blows is, over yeah. like like the head off of a beer in in a few months, and people realize, hey, I just got this great company at a twenty six percent discount. Maybe there we go. Yeah, we
10: don't give advice on on what to buy, but we can tell you that. Um, that um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which includes trans people, is not something that corporate America is going to walk away from.
9: Yeah, I, I don't, just think don't this,
10: see
9: it. I, I don't think this is a few months because the the idea no. that there's a large block of the country that is opposed to the lifestyle. Of oh. another another large block that that's not actually true. What is true is that a parent walking into target doesn't want to explain to their seven year old child why the woman's swimsuit has room for the parts of a man. Yeah, I,
1: I don't, know. So, I don't also, we're
9: getting
2: we're getting into social stuff that I, that's not that's that's I, don't, I think is probably best left to other. I want to talk about the business impact and advice for companies and what they can do if they even inadvertently, Mark and Heidi, to your points, kind of get caught up in these things. And I think you're right, Mark. I think it was more the video of them like, oh, we're fratty and whatever. Mark and Heidi, a good conversation. To your point, Heidi, not going away anytime soon. Thank you both very much. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, can Las Vegas be turned into America's hottest real estate market? We're going to hear from the CEO. With the company, the plan, and the city already, to pull it off all right time now for today's rbi and right now let's talk about a serious topic often cripplingly high energy costs hitting american families and even though some costs are starting to come down many families are getting behind according to a new report nearly 20 million american households are behind on the utility bills That is up more than 2 million homes in a year, and the amount that is owed is also soaring. The report notes that the total amount of energy bills overdue or outstanding is now $19.5 billion. That is up from just $15.7 billion last year. Families owe an average of $617 on their electric and nearly $400 on natural gas. And Though commodity costs have come down recently, we're sorry to report that your summer electric bill is probably going up. The report notes that household electricity bills this summer could average 529, up from 517, and just 445 two years ago. Those hit the most, an area that we have talked a lot about in the last few years on CNBC, New England. The energy-starved region could see the biggest pop in cost. The Boston area often has to import pricey natural gas by ship from Trinidad and is often burning wood and gas from trash to make electricity, which is kind of remarkable, given that New England is just a couple of hundred miles away from America's biggest natural gas field. If only there was a way to move natural gas from one location to another besides a ship. Random and interesting. All right, moving from, well, the home and commercial and retail space, JP Morgan hosting its annual shareholders meeting today. And CEO Jamie Dimon making some very interesting comments on the state of the commercial real estate sector and how it could be impacted by the ongoing bank uncertainty.
7: There's always an offsides. The offsides in this case will probably be real estate. It'll be certain locations, certain office properties, certain construction loans.
5: Uh, It could be very isolated. So it won't be every bank.
2: Your next guest is one of the best voices in America to weigh in on this topic with a portfolio which includes over 9 million square feet of office space, retail space, over 6,000 residential units, the 10 building in Manhattan, and Summerlin, Nevada, which is supposed to be like the hottest housing market in America. Joining us is Howard Hughes CEO David O'Reilly. Good to have you on in person, David. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. So you got Mark Wahlberg, too. He moved from California to Summerlin. I mean, how hot right now? proverbially, I guess, and literally at this time of year, Absolutely. is, is, Savannah, is uh, Savannah, Summerlin, Nevada. Summerlin's been tremendous.
1: And it's been uh, a flight to quality. And so many residents that are seeking safety and security, access to nature, great education opportunities for their children that are coming there. And they're coming there in droves. And this is a well-educated workforce. And now what we're seeing is companies chasing them.
2: And I and think the wind moved
1: its corporate headquarters from the strip To Summerlin they did people want a short commute and the success of an office building these days is great amenities Perfect location and a short commute
2: and I'm hoping given what we just talked about Maybe you can also throw in a little bit of a relatively inexpensive solar energy for them Where do you get the power? I worry. I do worry about Nevada Water Mm -hmm. power. you know water is kind of
1: important. Oh, absolutely But the the population of the Las Vegas Valley has doubled over the past 10 years and today compared to 10 years ago we not, use, not only use less water per capita, but less water overall, because we've put in some very stringent water conservation uh, techniques. We've eliminated glass, uh, grass lawns. We've reduced the size of pools. We use only drip irrigation. And all of those have reduced the water consumption such that with a double of the population, less water today than 10 years ago. You
2: got 4 million square feet of office space in Texas. You got nearly 2 million in Maryland. Obviously, you got mm-hmm. the 10 building and the seaport here in New York City. Your background is in, uh, you worked for, I think, a, a commercial REIT, commercial office building REIT before taking the CEO job. Uh, Parkway Properties, I think, was the name of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, are you worried about commercial real estate?
1: I, I'm worried about office. And I think today we're facing the same type of crisis that we saw in malls 10, 12 years ago after the GFC. And there's going to be a have and have nots a long neck giraffes, short neck giraffes. It's a Darwin moment for office buildings. Mm. And I think the percentage of buildings well, that who, survive.
2: Who, who, it didn't end well in Darwinism. Who, who dies then?
1: Well, who wins I, and who doesn't? Like the really well located office buildings that have great amenities, conference spaces, great fitness facilities, restaurants, co-working spaces. They'll survive. And I think the cities that have shorter commutes, quality of life, safety and security will have a greater percentage of buildings that survive. But if you look like at cities, New York, San Francisco, there's a whole slew of B office buildings that can't get rents to justify their Would existence. Would you invest in San Francisco right now? I wouldn't, it's why we invest in Summerlin because we're receiving all those residents, we're receiving those companies that are moving out of there, chasing that quality of life affordability we just relocated a company from San Diego into the Woodlands. And the CEO said that they did a survey of their employees, average age 47, 48 years old. The vast majority of them had come to the realization that they couldn't afford to own a home ever. 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 In San Diego. And they didn't think their children could go to college because they didn't know that they could get into state school in California. They moved to the Woodlands. Now all of their employees that moved, and the overwhelming majority moved with them, own homes and their kids are going to University of Texas, Texas A&M, University of Houston, getting great education, safety and security, twice the house for half the price, and affordability that doesn't exist in those other cities. And, and no state income tax. Although there That's are, t-
2: Texas has plenty of other tax. You can't spell, you know, it's just an acronym. It, what is it? A, where they mix up the letters and it's the same. My, my I, I don't brain, think it's the same. My my, I, I think my, the my brain is tired. But yes, no state income tax for Texas. A lot of U-Hauls going this way, not a lot going the other way. Absolutely. I'll see you hopefully at the Tin Building soon. I oh am. Yeah, let's do it. Jean-Georges. David O'Reilly, thank you very much. Appreciate thank you it. so much. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, we stay in the Southwest and people of Phoenix listen up. If you're going to be able to soon dial up a driverless Uber, would you get in? Well, guess what? It's not a fantasy. It's happening. Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego will join us next. By the way, it's an anagram. That's what I meant. We're back after this. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Picture this. You land at Phoenix's Sky Harbor Airport. You order an Uber. The car pulls up. You go to say hello to the driver and realize there is no driver. Starting later this year, Uber and Phoenix are teaming up with Waymo to bring you autonomous ride hailing and delivery the future is here or at least it's in phoenix joining us now to talk further about it is the mayor of phoenix arizona kate gallego mayor gallego good to have you on the program uh how did this come about and how concerned should we be about you know safety
11: you should be excited that the future is phoenix we are really proud to be an innovative city that welcomes the best and safest technology We are the first airport in the world where you can take an autonomous vehicle and now we'll be the first community in the world where you can hail it with your Uber app. This is the culmination of years of testing. Um, I can tell you for years, we've stepped outside of city hall and seen Waymo testing in our community mapping, getting ready for announcements like the one that we have made today. I have been in a Waymo and you can see every car on its computer interface, every pedestrian That's much more than I can see as an individual Mm. driver. So I think this is a great win for technology and innovation, but also long-term safer communities.
2: I was in your fine area about a year ago. I landed at Sky Harbor. I got in an old fashioned taxi and we were heading down to Scottsdale or wherever we were going. And there was a Waymo next to us, but there was a guy sitting in the passenger seat just to make sure. And I wondered how far off are we? How do you guarantee, or at least, there's no guarantees in life, Mayor Kate. How do we assure the pe- the lovely people of Phoenix and its visitors that these cars are indeed safe?
11: So no technology is perfect, but this is a much more complex interface that can really sense all of the both moving and non-moving obstacles around it. There have been years of testing to get to today. And it's just a proud moment for me as mayor. I get to represent the largest autonomous service area in the world. And it's been really well received. We were the first Super Bowl host committee to have autonomous vehicle sponsor mm. as part of our great delivery to the world. And it's what we wanna be known for. You know, We're a hub of aerospace, semiconductors. We have a community that pushes us to be cutting edge on technology. And we're proud to be a living laboratory. We know if we wanna be one of the best cities in the world, we have to try things that others have not.
2: And you are, and it's amazing, and uh, I can't wait to give it a shot. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that, that are going to be nervous about it. It might take them, a, you know, a few tries to get in. After all, it's, there's, there's nobody there. This is the future, and I guess you can't spell future without PHX. Mayor Kate, thank you very much. Thank you. A lot of spelling to me. All right, do you know what happened 21 years ago today? The most popular streaming service in the world went public. Let's go back in time to May 23rd, 2020. Netflix went public at $15 a share. Of course, at the time, it was not a streamer. You literally rented DVDs by mail. You ordered a movie, like a week later it showed up, you watched it, you sent it back. Good job, Netflix. You made it through a business a lot of people said you wouldn't. Well, that's it for Last Call tonight, folks. Really appreciate you watching. As always, I am Brian Sullivan. We will see you tomorrow night as well. Shark Tank is next.
11: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.